Hey there, restaurant pros. It's David Scott Peterson. Welcome to episode 22 of the Restaurant Prosperity Formula. I've been coaching restaurant owners since 2003, and the Restaurant Prosperity Formula is based on what the most successful restaurant owners I've worked with do on a daily basis to achieve their success. The basic premise of the formula centers around achieving prosperity, freedom from your restaurant, and the financial freedom you deserve. To achieve prosperity, you have to follow a very specific formula made up of leadership, systems, training, accountability, and taking action. Today's topic centers around what the most successful restaurant owners know about their numbers. Now, I want to tell you about our guest today, Ann Gannon, founder of the Largo Group, a restaurant accounting firm. Ann started the business to specialize in restaurant accounting because she saw too many accounting firms taking small business owners as clients, but not providing them with the support and guidance to help them grow their businesses. Her mission is to transform the way accounting works with restaurant owners. We had a really great conversation. Listen in as Ann and I take a deep dive into what the most successful restaurant owners we work with know about their numbers. This conversation will provide you with a blueprint to follow to achieve your financial and personal goals. I want to welcome Ann Gannon to the show today, but first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is being brought to you by Repeat Returns. If you're a restaurant owner of a medium to high volume independent restaurant, multi-unit or franchise operator, and you're looking for a proven and realistic solution to attract, grow and retain customers, then you need to visit Repeat Returns. Repeat Returns is a modern marketing platform created by a restaurant owner for restaurant owners. It studies each customer's habits and patterns, predicts the most profitable outcome for your restaurant every single day, and deploys the marketing to make that happen. You'll never lift a finger. To see if Repeat Returns is right for you, visit repeatreturns.com forward slash DSP. Hey there, restaurant pros. David Scott Peters here, creator of the Restaurant Prosperity Formula and your coach. Man, I'll tell you what. I'm pretty excited to have you here today. We're going to dive into accounting, one of those things that most people don't want to talk about. Uh, because why? We fear our numbers. And truth be told, to be the leader your restaurant needs, you need to understand your numbers. So we're going to take the time to literally dive into what the most successful restaurant owners know about their numbers. And I want you to be that, that person as well. Now, you guys know who I am. I've got a guest today, Ann Gannon, who's a CPA and principal of the Largo Group, a restaurant and hospitality accounting firm. Uh, they handle golf courses. They handle all other businesses, rentals and so on. But what I love about Ann and her team is they are restaurant focused. Because what I've known over my years is by having the wrong expert on your team, man, it, it can really screw things up. So I'm going to bring Ann on right now. Hey, Ann, how are you? I'm Hi, so, David. Thanks for having me here today. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad to have you. I'm kind of excited to dive in a little bit. Um, but do me a favor. Before we get started, tell people just a little bit, a snapshot of, of your background and, and what the Largo Group does. Yeah. So like you mentioned, uh, we are you know, a accounting firm that specializes in restaurant, but our above all goal is to make accounting simplified for business owners to understand that you have a lot on your plate. You have to run your business every day, but you need key information in order to make the best decisions. So our goal is to give you that information so that your decisions make sense and you know what is really happening in your operations. Fantastic. Well, 
Let's dive into what the most successful restaurant owners know about their numbers and and really dive into why that's so important. And, and during our discussion, we're going to cover four major points. What the most successful restaurant owners have in common. We're going to talk about the most successful operators know about their accounting, where to start to get a better understanding of the numbers that matter. And finally, why cash flow is so important, how you start, you know, you get started to generate it. And so as we go through the, all this, we're gonna we're gonna dive deep into each one of these topics. And to start off with, we're gonna talk about what the most successful restaurant owners have in common. And I'm gonna take the lead on this one because there's really one of the things. If you've read my book, Restaurant Prosperity Formula, what successful restaurateurs do, you can find it on Amazon. There's a shameless plug. Um, it was following my at my old company, 22 of the most successful restaurant owners I've ever worked with. Uh, my elite group, we met on a quarterly basis and we dive in to help each other. And, and I saw them change their lives. And in getting prepared to write the book, I literally dove deep and said, what makes you successful? And took over a meeting, went around tables and had people in tears. It was just of joy of the change they made in their business. But there were two personality traits that each one of them had. And one is they have a passion for this industry. You must have a burning desire to be in this business because it will kick your ass. Do I need to tell you about that after you've just survived a year and a half of COVID and COVID business restrictions? And now we're, I think we're worse off in the sense as an operator, you just spent a year and a half pulling back your management team, pulling back all your employees. We've got people who've left the industry and now you're approaching burnout because now the customers are coming back. Mass mandates are being lifted. Restaurant dining rooms are opening to 75% to 100%. And all of a sudden there's this whoosh of customers. Because our competition is gone too. 40% of restaurants are closed. Whether they're closed for good will be an indication we'll see very shortly. But the fact of the matter is you have no employees. So you're burning yourselves out. And I get it. This will pass. But see, this is where that passion is so important. There will always be an obstacle. And so the most successful people I've worked with really have a passion for the business. Nothing can stop them. Which adds the second piece that goes with that is the persistence. Nothing will stop them. Nothing will stop you from being the great restaurant operator you hope to be. The question is how we get through the restaurant prosperity formula from leadership and systems and training, accountability, and most of all, taking action. But we're going to focus on the numbers. And so no matter what, if we're focusing on numbers, you've got to focus on that you still have a passion. Now, there are seven points that, that Ann and I are going to talk about, uh, kind of a given uh, back and forth. But it starts with the first one, and that's have systems in place to impose your will. Now, I'm going to spend a little time later as we talk about this, but I just want you to think about this. There's a system, a process, a way to doing anything and everything in your business. There's Whether it's counting out a bar drawer the same every single time, or it is dollars per labor hour worked. So anything that you do. I always talk about restaurant 101 first, and then it's checklists and cash controls, the foundation of all your systems. And then we can get into recipe cards and inventory and so on. But Ann, talk a little bit about on the accounting side, what are some of the systems they need to have in place from bill pay to rec you know, making sure they get the, the invoices to you and all that? What are some of the systems that maybe an operator doesn't think about? Well, really what it is, is like you said, I think 
building a checklist for forgetting lack of time, forgetting all of the things on your plate. If time wasn't a factor, what are all the things that you as an owner would like to do every week? Because I think sometimes we build it up in our head. That's like, well, that would take 12 hours. But if we really write on paper, here's all of the things I need to do. I need to check my bank balance. I need to make sure that all my invoices are in. I need to make sure my sales are right. I need to check the comp discounts that I don't have employees just giving away stuff, right? All of those minor things that add up to something very major. I think having a master wish list is a great place to start. And then building that checklist for you as the owner, because there's certain things that only you can do in the accounting side, right? Because there is an element of control to make sure that your employees are doing the right thing and that cash isn't missing. And that's really the owner's role. But I think if we start with that wish list of here's all the things I want to do every week and then build out a way that we can do them because they're so important for our business. And, and this is where you and I, we complement each other in what we do. Like I've got a system called the DSR tracker where you're literally just taking your daily sales report, putting the numbers in. So we have the right journal entry for bookkeeping. We know gross sales by category, accounts payable, discounts, and we know how the money came in. And what's beautiful about that is you know, it's five minutes of work that your managers will do f at best. And, but now it gives accounting the right journal entry and a double check that was, you talked about, Hey, what do you want to accomplish? You want to be able to leave your business, but trust the money's making to the bank. Well, you got a POS, POS report that tells you what your number should be. You've got what your, your DSR tracker says you're actually taking to the bank, but now accounting can double check and say, did that make it to the bank? And you can double check that the number they say is over short is truly close to what it's supposed to be because you know that whatever that overshort is should be plus or minus your deposit tells you what your POS system says. I mean, those, those little things truly matter, don't they? Oh, definitely. And I think we can't always assume the point of sale knows everything. So really, like you said, building your own daily check. So, you know, the point of sale might show a thousand dollars went to the bank, but you know that it didn't because of tips or paid outs or whatever it is. So we either need to make sure that we record all of those in the point of sale, or like you said, have a separate checklist to say, okay, this is the number that you're accountable to, because we really should hold our team accountable to make sure that that $400 actually went into the bank account and its own deposit slip with the date on it. So that way everybody is clear that day is in the bank. And I think it's a little thing, but it's a big thing for accountability. And then we've got invoices, you know, we want our accurate costs to get sold. We've got labor numbers, payroll reports, POS reports, and so on. Like, what is it that I should be thinking of as an operator working with my accountant or bookkeeper to make sure that I've got a system that they get the right numbers, like to make sure every invoice is in intact. So I can tell you my old software company, um, we used to develop something where you can scan invoices with your phone, upload it. Well, you and I both work with members that are in R365 or, or uh, margin edge more, most often than not, and a myriad of other software packages, but they've got those features too. take a picture and upload. How important is it to do that so that you have the right information but then how, what are they supposed to do to double check? Because that's the piece most operators forget. The successful people are double checking. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so really what I think has evolved, especially with technology, is the idea of looking at your P&L on a weekly basis. So your profit and loss statement showing your revenues and expenses. 
that is critical to look at weekly. And the reason is you can clearly see if things are missing if you go and pull a four-week trend, right? So I I love to look at a four-week trend. Anyone who's our client gets a four-week trend report showing their P&L over the last four weeks. And that's critical because I don't care about payroll on a four-week trend, right? Because I'll see a bi-weekly payroll or maybe even a bi-monthly payroll. But what I do care about is really seeing the cost of goods line because that tells me if we're missing invoices. A great example is someone asked me to pull up, you know, a sample report this morning. So I just pulled one they were working on this week and it's like 26, 26, 26, 9. Well, I'm pretty sure your cost of goods are at 9, right? That tells me that we're missing invoices. And right away, it's like a gentle reminder. Hey, you know, let's make sure we have all the invoices. So we're not waiting till the end of the month because when your numbers get bigger and things come back, it's easy to miss a couple invoices and then fool yourself into thinking, oh, I'm running great costs of goods, when in reality, we're missing invoices. Now, now the next point we have here, the, what most successful restaurant owners we work with have is that an implementer, somebody who, as eloquently as I say, helps them get shit done. Because what I found is restaurant operators, owners should not be and sh and cannot be the person who implements a system to make sure it's getting done on a daily basis with really just such detail. You got to double check. You got to hold people accountable. We'll talk about that. But you need somebody on your team to make sure that people, they're along this journey with you, doing the work for you, that you can oversee it, that you can be the leader of the business versus the doer of the business. Now, I know that that translates 100% when it comes to implementing systems. It's, in fact, a critical piece to anybody who joins my restaurant transformation intensive program. They have to have identified an implementer to bring along the journey, or I know they will fail. Now, do you find the same thing on the accounting side? Like, do the same operators have a key person that kind of ensures you get the data you need versus counting on an owner, which can delay the process? So I think they should. I think what you really need to make sure on the accounting side is that it's a non-negotiable, right? That, oh, I got busy, so I couldn't take a picture of the invoice. That's not an excuse to not doing it, right? And I think software has come a long way in that regard, but I definitely think it's making sure that your team buys into the importance of it. The other thing is, you know, on payroll and things like that, I think having a manager uh, aware of the dollars behind payroll, making sure your team is aware that, you know, if you order extra supplies, that's cash that's out of the business. And if you run extra shifts, that's cash that's out. So I think it is important to have the team aware, whether it's through a bonus program or, you know, some sort of report that we could bring back to the team. But it can't just be like the owner saying, oh, well, don't buy order more because I'm saving cash, right? It has to be the team seeing as this is important for the business because we need to be efficient. So that drives right into the next point of accountability. I mean, it's yes. one thing to have systems. It's one thing to have an implementer. It's one thing to have managers, which I hope we all get to a point where we've got, we're fully staffed again and we've got management team in place. But if you don't hold someone accountable, things go away. They don't get done. And then you're frustrated. You're frustrated with your accountant. Hey, and why aren't my numbers right? Well, your managers didn't upload every invoice. Your managers didn't go into the software and categorize a new product into food versus paper versus Jenny. So it's floating out there as an unknown. You didn't do like, so we've got to make sure that we've got those steps, those, those systems in place, but we ensure they're doing the step by step by step, ensuring the process is working. And ultimately, if I train somebody on what the job is, how to do it, how well it should be done, more importantly, by when, and they demonstrate they got it, I can hold them accountable or now instead of a negative, it's answerable. 
How often, and do you find the difference between somebody you work with that is just thriving and somebody who's got chaos in their business when it comes to holding people accountable? Like you're getting your numbers on a routine basis versus chasing them down. Is there a big difference in their success? Yeah, I really think, you know, the, I wouldn't even say old school, but I think traditional thought process was these were owner thoughts, right? Well, I'm the owner. I deal with that. You're the manager. You deal with operations. You know, you make sure the burger's right and we're all good. And I think that that has transitioned a lot as there's more information available. I mean, 20 years ago, that was probably true, right? Because it would take you an hour to figure out your cost of goods. And we don't have an hour. We got to get the burgers, right? But now it's at your fingertips. So the I think the most successful I see are the teams that are open with their manager, they're open with their general manager, the good and the bad, right? Like, hey guys, we got to work on food costs because protein costs are going through the roof. And if we're not careful, it's going to be a bad month versus I think the old school manager was like, well, that's like something I'm going to deal with, with my Cisco rep, but you guys just, you know, you deal with what you do. And I think everybody has to be aware that money doesn't grow on trees and there are always cost benefit things. And the team has to be aware of, you know, we have limited resources. We have to be as efficient as we can. And, you know, we make the best decision as a team. It's a perfect lead into the next thing. And that is proactively managing your business based on a budget. And, and yes. we're going we're gonna to talk deeply about budgets in a little bit. But budget's your proactive plan. What I need to do to achieve these numbers and, and why it's so important. Heck, you and I, we have several, we have a lot of members that are both with me and clients of yours. And often we'll get on a, a joint call with the members. And we just did this last week with one of our, one of our, one of our favorite people, because they're just really changing their lives and making, making incredible strides in their business, going from not understanding the restaurant business to really just saving the business through COVID and growing and starting to thrive. But in that call, we literally started to look at numbers and talk about the story they tell, and we could easily see that this system wasn't being used, that system wasn't being used, this needs to be changed, how we purchase, and so on. I mean, that proactive plan, that budget is literally, like the difference between a, a, a client you have that has zero budget and somebody has, has a budget, what is that like? Like you as a, a CPA looking, looking outward in, is there a huge difference between those operators? There's a huge difference. And I think as an accountant, it really helps us to know the target because otherwise I don't know everything about your business. I don't know the quality of meat you put in your burger, even if you're a burger place, right? Every place is different and every number tells a story. So for me, we have such better conversations if it's geared towards the budget, because then I know what you're working on and I can say, hey, like it isn't it's not working. Let's fix it. Versus if I never know your target is to cut cost of goods by 5%, you know, it is what it is. And I think having that target, having you tell me, hey, you know, I need to grow my sales by 5%. Okay. Well, like, let's track that. Let's see where that goes. And if you are growing sales by 5%, you know, going back to that same client, I mean, their sales were, you know, up $20,000. So what was interesting to see is, you know, some of our targets were impacted by the sales increase. So knowing like, hey guys, you killed it on your target. This is now what we need to tweak because maybe you need more labor because <laughs> you have a lot more sales. So, you know, it's a moving target. I think having an open conversation on a budget to say, hey, this was our best estimate last month, but hey, now we see you beat your target by a lot. So let's go back and readjust and fix 
the budget to adjust to a higher sales going forward. But it's, I think having that open conversation where without a budget, it's hard. You're always looking backward and you're saying, you know, cost of goods look a little high. I don't know. Do you feel like they're high? Right, you know, right. what do you think? And you don't have that target. And, and and we're going to talk more, dive deeper into budgets, but I want everybody to think about as you listen to us that the budget is critical. If you follow me at any for any length of time, you know I'd say the two most important systems any restaurant should have are budgets and recipe costing cards. And what are the two systems most restaurants never have? Budgets and recipe cost cards. Why? They're so hard. Boo freaking who? Like you are the leader your restaurant needs and your job as an owner is to lead the team, work on budgets, marketing, develop your management team, hold people accountable. That's what you're supposed to do, not flip the burger. So this whole topic about knowing your numbers and why it's important, it's critical. You are the leader of the business. And if you don't know your numbers, you are flying blind. Uh, now, I want to dive into the next piece and that's really being consi having consistency. Uh, like we both believe in consistency in the restaurant business and your systems. But for me, it's, you know, same product all the time, great service all the time, clean, safe worker environment, right? Restaurant 101 stuff and making sure we use these systems. But consistency bleeds over into accounting, doesn't it? Knowing your numbers. Definitely. And I think what's hard is accounting isn't going to change your daily operations of your restaurant today. Right. Like it's very easy to say, oh, I just don't have time to sit in my front of my computer. So I'm just going to go out and, you know, work the floor and I'll deal with this later. And I think what happens is later becomes, you know, six months later or three months later. And all of a sudden you had no idea how your restaurant was doing for three months. And now you're frustrated. Right. So I think the consistency of forcing yourself to look at it every week, even when we don't want to and really make sure everything's in there, the little things, like you said, the checklist. Um, it can be as easy as, you know, checking your bank statement a couple times a week just to make sure that everything's in there and you know your cash balance. But so many times, especially with seasonal restaurants, um, I think you and I both have had shared clients that have it where it's like, you know, I am just too busy. There's no way I'm going to look at this in July and August. And in reality, there are so many dollars on the table in your peak season that it doesn't do any good to look at it when you're not busy, right? Because that 5% is a lot bigger number when you're slammed than when you're not. So you really need to be the reverse and to see it as important as working in the restaurant. And the truth of the matter is, whether you're busy or slow, the same stuff has to happen every single month. So I know there's operators who uh, right now are feeling the struggle and, and you just found the hour to, to, to listen to this right now and, and be a part of it and go, man, I really need to get to this. And that was a big deal to find that time because you're getting crushed with business. You've got, you know, a skeleton crew. You can't find people for whatever reason. We're not going to dive into that. And so you're feeling this burnout and going, man, it's like being in season. That was the, the greatest excuse that I, that I guess I, I hate is, oh, well, we're, we're going to be going into season. So nothing's going to happen. Well, like you said, Ann, well, when your sales double, if you're truly seasonal, you're going to lose money twice as fast, which means it's your opportunity to put the acorns aside. So when that winter months come in, if you will, theoretically, and it gets barren and you're going to lose money on purpose to stay open, keep people employed, that you're burning off some of those profits that at the end of that 12 months, you still make the money you deserve. It's it's having your plan for success and it, it is really critical. So being consistent is important. Next, you and I both have people we've talked to that 
they say they're afraid of their numbers. And the most successful restaurant oper operators we're, we work with aren't afraid of the numbers. I, I can think of one of my RTI members who, at the beginning, she was like, oh, I, I, don't, mind, I don't know my numbers. I don't know anything about them. I, you know, it scares me. That Literally, outright. And by the time we got done with the budget process and now moving forward, she loves her numbers, engages with her numbers, and things are changing. What do you see with the most successful people versus the least successful when it comes to numbers? I mean, what kind of traits are they showing you? Yeah, so I think um, I think everybody on some degree has an element of fear with their numbers. And I think COVID has made that worse. Right? I think regardless of how much money is in your bank account, and for a lot of people, it's more than they've ever had, there's still that element of it's not enough. Right. And I think even the best owners that, you know, know their business, know their margins, I think there's always that element of fear when it comes to cash flow. So what I think we have to do is own that, right? Like as a business owner, cash flow is terrifying, right? You don't you want to make sure you make the next payroll, you want to make sure you make the next rent. You don't know if sales are coming to the door. And then COVID happens and oh my God, there's a day where nobody comes to the door, right? So there's a ton of fear here. And I think we have to own the fact that it's never gonna go away. Right. It's not really fear tied to how much is in the bank. It's the fear of the responsibility you carry as an owner every day. And I think we just have to deal with it and find a way based on how you handle things to accept the fact that it's scary. But it's better to know than to not know, because the worst thing to do. And I've had clients like this who bury your head in the sand and then you can't make payroll. Right. We need to know what the cash balance is. We need to have a plan for cash and just own the fact that it might not be fun to look at it every day. And, th and that basically covers the final piece of the most successful operators we work with make decisions based off their cash flow, not profits, not um, their gut. Not, they truly have it mapped out. They know when they can, if they need to do a bar renovation, when they're going to have the dollars to do so. If they need to run higher labor, they know they have the dollars to do so because in six months when sales are through the roof, they're going to run a much lower labor. It's truly understanding your cash because ultimately, and we'll talk about it again, cash pays your bills, profits don't. Um, next, next section we're going to talk about is what the most successful operators know about accounting. Now, this is where a lot of people get tripped up and it really just comes down to it. The most successful people we work with, they know their margins down to the penny. They've got recipe costing cards and menu mix to know their ideal food cost. They have a budget target for say cost to get sold. So if I have a budget target of food cost of 28%, let's just pick a number out of the air. Well, I know based on my menu that I need to have an ideal food cost of 26 and have all these systems in place to measure that I don't have more than two points waste. And most restaurants seven run seven and nine points up. And then I need a budget number, which make, helps me make money. And it's all these things tie together and goes down to the nth degree. Talk about when it you're, the operators that you see the most success with, I mean, how much of their margins do they know? Like, do they know their labor costs? Do they know their food costs? Do they know what their paper supplies are? Do they know what their marketing is down to comps? You name it. I mean, how detailed do they know their numbers? 
I mean, I think it's very detailed. And I think, you know, the key, like you said, is knowing your margin of error, especially on cost of goods. So even if it's a bad ordering week, knowing, okay, like I went up a percentage or two, I looked into it, it was this, it was, you know, cost of chicken went up, whatever it is, but very aware, like, all right, it went up by 2%. I kind of know what that is. We fixed it or we didn't. And now we might need to kind of watch that that isn't, you know, a consistent trend. Um, Definitely on the labor side, they know their controllable labor. They know that, you know, my staff labor can't be more than 15% or 17% or my manager can't be build a schedule that's more than 18%. Managers, not so much, right? It's a fixed cost. That's a bigger decision that we make, you know, months at a time, but definitely your hourly labor, you know, what your schedule costs you because labor, it's so easy to be retroactive and just look backwards and be like, ah, labor's high. Well, everybody came in at a side time. So if you told them to show up at nine o'clock, it's not their fault that labor's high, right? So there's so much in hourly labor that has to be controlled. And I think the best ones really know that. And this is where knowing your numbers really matters, you know, and we're going to talk about in a moment, those pieces that you've got to have in place to be in a position to be like these successful operators. In tandem, the fact that, that many of my members have Anne as their CPA and, and, and doing their monthly bookkeeping, tax returns, all this wonderful stuff is we both cut from the same cloth because we understand all the systems go with it. So as we talked about, Ann and I often get on mutual calls with the same the same restaurant because I'm representing them as a coach. She's representing as as their, their expert on the numbers as a CPA. And the budget and the budget variance report tells the story. And all of a sudden you sit there and realize that the systems we have, a budget, allows you to proactive manage your business, which gives us the targets we have to shoot for for our managers for food costs, bottle beer, draft beer, wine, liquor costs, merchandise, our labor costs by position from salaried managers to hourly managers to, if I'm full service, you know, servers and bartenders, if I'm quick servers, you know, drivers and cashiers, but you know it down to the penny based on the sales that are coming in. But now we can then use budgeting tools. I've got the restaurant checkbook guardian that tells them, tells their managers how much money they can spend by cost of goods sold category, this much for food, bottle beer, draft beer, wine, liquor on your next order to stay within budget, giving them the ability to give up ordering without giving up control. The restaurant payroll guardian telling your managers how many hours and dollars you have to spend on your next bud- on your next week's schedule that you go into the week on budget and then measuring tools from tracking to dollars per labor hour worked. I mean, you could truly drill down, but Without good numbers, without a good P&L, without the budget to know where you're shooting for, you don't know what you're measuring. Am I missing anything there, Ann? No, and I think, like you said, it's just about um, making sure you have all those systems in place because it's great to have a scheduling app, but if you don't ever compare it against the, the dollars that you spend in payroll, it's not that helpful. So we really need to make sure all the systems are speaking the same language and you know, categorizing things together so we can have that accountability as well. And if you're listening to us going, oh my gosh, I don't even have any of this stuff. You just got to start. The fact of the matter is you just got to start. Um, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So we pick the foundational systems first. You work to the next thing, the next thing, and the next thing. And the, and sooner than, than you know it, six months, a year later, you've got all the foundational systems in place. And here's the, the sad reality. Both Ann and I will tell you that 
There's no point in time you hit a high, you high five and go, we're freaking done. There's always going to be more. Once you learn these numbers, you're going to find a way to drill down to another number. You're going to start looking at it and it's going to start telling you a story. Like the exciting part for me with successful operators is when they understand this one piece is that next step the next step. And they start drilling down to heck, not only dollars per labor hour work for the day, but by 15 minute increments, because they have the POS system. I mean, do you see the same thing? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a never ending quest. And part of that is just being entrepreneurial, right? When you're really bored and you have it all in place, you're going to want another location. So again, kind of owning that, that's part of being an entrepreneur, but I think it can be frustrating that it takes a long time but I think seeing incremental progress that even though we're not there, we're getting better and we have conquered our food costs. So let's go on the liquor costs or, you know, and I think that, like you said, that one bite at a time, it's so true. It doesn't mean that it's going to be bad for six months. It just means that it's a process of, of getting better. And so, you know, if you're trying to figure out where the hell do you start, because just rattled off all these things and, and some of this starts to feel like an elephant sitting on your chest. There's another elephant okay. reference. Maybe I'm feeling a little heavy today. But the fact of the matter is this. You start with your tracking. So the DSR tracker to make sure the money makes it to the bank and all your sales and accounts payable and, and, and discounts are all tracked properly. Then you get into your invoices and making sure that, that those are getting there and all your bills are getting into your bookkeeping. So you have a system to make sure you're verifying it's all getting to your bookkeeper, to your accountant. I think those are the things. From there, we're going to start in the next in the next area, I'm going to start talking about chart of accounts and how that is so critical to setting up all these systems. So if it were me, and if you were to say, hey, where do I start? Do you agree it's that foundational stuff of tracking and making sure it gets to you? Yes. So I definitely think it's the uh, tracking element. It's consistently looking at it, at least in the first, say it's the first month, look every week, because I guarantee every week you're going to think of something else that you didn't track before. So just, you know, you, you're not going to catch it all at one time, but if you look consistently over four weeks, I think you will. And the other thing is it can be to start as simple as your bank balance. If you take your beginning bank balance for last month and your ending bank balance for last month, forgetting government programs and subtracting out whatever ERTC or PVP checks we might have, what was your operating cash flow? And I could say we have one client who we just started with who did that. He actually went back four months and it was great. All of a sudden you're like, well, you have this amount that came in your bank every month. And that's a really good check to start to make sure we have all the information. And then from there, like you said, the, the budget is critical. Awesome. All right, next section, we're gonna talk about where to start to get, get a better understanding of the numbers that matter. So this kind of ties into what we just talked about, but now we're diving into the financials and, and there are four areas that, again, the most successful people we work with eventually get a handle on. Now, I do wanna let everybody know, most everyone I've ever worked with, these are learned behaviors. They were learned behaviors for me. We're not all uh, numbers people like Ann. Ann went to school on purpose to do accounting. Like I was an operator. Who the hell wants to do this? Ann, I'm so glad there's people like you because it's the last thing I want to be doing on a routine basis. Um, but here we go. We're going to talk about the four pieces you need. And it's chart of accounts, a budget, cash flow management, and then a budget variance report. So let's touch a little bit, Ann, on chart of accounts. And you and I have a little bit of a, a similar belief. And that is, number one, your chart of accounts is not wrong. There is no such thing as a wrong chart of accounts. 
They all pay taxes. But the difference is you being a restaurant specialist along with me is that we want it to be a report card. So you have to set it up properly. And in fact, I think we both believe that it's not your CPA or bookkeeper's job to give you the chart of accounts and you say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. It's your job to take that suggestion, what you have, and make sure it tells you a story that you know what it's telling you. Like, for instance, I, we, how often do we come across, I, I send people your way and, and their, their books are horrible. They've got food sales and beverage, yet they have a bar, bottle beer, draft beer, wine, liquor. Cost of goods sold is food, beverage, and in food is janitorial, paper, all these extra things. Labor is hourly and salary. Well, hell, I don't know where that problem is. And all of a sudden you read down this, this P&L and the chart of accounts is very pithy, very short. And it and the moment I ask anybody, what is that number? They go, I don't know. I got to call my bookkeeper. That is a worthless report, but it's not wrong. It's gap. It's generally accepted accounting principles. It'll pay taxes, right? Definitely. And I think um, over the course of the last two years with technology, it's come even more into the forefront. So, you know, a lot of these softwares, like you said, a margin edge or a restaurant 365, I mean, it asks you to have, you know, different accounts and how do you want those set up? But the key is, I think you want to make sure that it's the same language you're using in your business. So if your manager goes for cleaning supplies and we call it restaurant supplies, doesn't do any good. So we have to make sure we're all using the exact same language for everything. And, and so some of those ins and outs, you've got to have all your sales broken up by category. It can't be food and beverage. It's food, bottle beer, draft beer, wine, liquor, merchandise, covered charge, uh, catering deposits, whatever it may be, everything line itemed. That means there's a cost of goods sold for those. And then it needs to be used divided by sales. QuickBooks, which is kind of the gold standard, is going to take your food cost divided by total sales. Well, you've got to actually take do the math and go food cost to food sales to know your true food cost. And in some, I know in some clients, you actually create a whole brand new report if that's how they want to see it. Now, we start going a bit into labor. You need to break it up. Salaried managers, hourly managers. And if you want front of house, back of house, hourly and salaried. And then each position, line by line by line, from prep cooks, cooks, dishwashers, barbacks, bartenders, servers, bussers, hosts, cashiers, drivers, lobby people, whatever it is. I don't want front of house, back of house, because as you go through in the budgeting process, how do I know where my numbers should be? Where am I bleeding if it's in cost of goods sold? If all the bar is in one number, if all the labor's in one number, how do I know that my kitchen's bleeding me dry? And then literally putting things in an order that matter to you down below that you know where everything's going in place. Uh, and I always look at it as a chart of accounts is the springboard to all the systems because that chart of accounts, if you change it to be more accurate, it may cause you to update your payroll system, update your point of sale system, update all your reporting. Like it's, it bleeds into every report, doesn't it? Yes, definitely. And I think so many times, especially on the labor side, you know, it's you people might update it on the budget, but then it says, oh, well, then I just take my labor and I manually do it. But they don't realize with technology, you can actually set those categories in your payroll. So every time your manager runs payroll, they can see what they spent per category. So I think what we want to do is make sure once the chart of accounts is set up, that it's 
being looked at by our team. Even on the point of sale system, you know, our sales breakdown should be a report we pull from the point of sale system every day. So, you know, like you said, your DSR should have those same categories and that's what the manager is putting in. So it isn't just living in the owner's head somewhere and then we don't have it reporting to our team. And this is where I said, where would I start? I talked about those foundational systems, but really I said this chart of accounts is going to jump in front of it because if you set up your foundational systems and you got food and beverage, well, now you're redoing all your stuff. Like you get that chart of accounts that will get you your DSR tracker, your labor systems, cost of goods sold. It all bleeds from here. This is truly the foundation to all those systems. Next is a budget. I'm not going to dive deep into a budget except for a budget is not what you did when you first opened your business. You put this flowery blue sky kind of thing. You went to a bank and asked for money and then you didn't look at it for another year. The budget truly is based on how you've run in the past. And if we duplicate it going forward and then what systems we're gonna put in place, what changes we're gonna make, how quickly are we gonna change our bottom line? It's your plan for success. And I can only tell you that if you're operating just on profit and loss statements, get them 15 days the next period, well, that means 45 days in a row have gone by and you've made the same dumbass mistakes and now you're looking backwards. It is too late. So when I look at a budget, it's the front windshield. Instead of rear view mirror, it's the windshield of your business. And you plot your course of where you're going and you drive there as fast or slow as necessary, but you know where you're going. And what are you seeing with, with members who have a budget versus those who don't? So I would say it goes back to the consistency. I mean, I think, you know, when uh, when I first, you know, started to attend some of your, you know, elite membership meetings, I was always amazed at how frequently that came up, you know, even in terms of decision, like, oh, you know, I really, I'm thinking about this big marketing campaign, but, you know, I'm going to throw it in the budget and see what happens first. Or I really want to hire a GM, but I'm going to, you know, throw it in the budget and, and then see how that works out. And it was just part of their thought process, right? Like there was not going to be a big decision made until we put it in the budget. We see, okay, yep, I'm good with that. It lowered my net income, but it's a big decision. It's going to give me quality of life, whatever it is. It was just part of their thought process. And I think without that, it's very easy to make a decision that you're not thinking about everything that's involved. Hiring a GM sounds great until we see that, well, it's gonna cost me to, cause me to lose money three months of the year. Like, am I okay with that if I'm seasonal? Maybe I am, but I just need to see it. And it's impossible to expect that all of that is gonna live in your head, right? So the budget just gives us a way to make better decisions when we're looking ahead. And that's, that's the critical part you make. We're always going to use our gut. And, and often I've got members who make decisions like they want to do something big, hire a, a high-end marketing firm and spend a lot of money. And they'll often call me and say, well, let's plug it in the budget. But ultimately what they want me to do is just bless their decision. You've already made the decision, <laughs> <It's okay>. right? <laughs> but the nice part is we can plug it in the budget and you can add some logic behind your emotion. And you still can decide. See, as entrepreneurs, we can say, you know what? I'm going to take the risk. It's going to, if it doesn't work, it's a negative on my bottom line. But I think the upside is higher. You're an entrepreneur. You're a risk taker. But you get to make the decision that that's what you're going to do with your money. And that's huge versus getting to tax time, getting the report for man, you're, 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 and go, that's all I made or that's what I lost. Wow. Hell, we're four months after the last year. And now you're looking and going, look what I made or lost. When this looks every single month, we can then make changes to the plan. If we didn't make our numbers, what changes will we make the rest of the year? And that's a critical part. A budget is ongoing and breathing. 
Now, the next piece is cash flow management. I'm going to hold this one for detail because we're going to cover that next. But cash flow is critical. Uh, all I can tell you is we're going to dive deep into cash flow. I want you to remember one mantra. Cash pays your bills. Profits don't. Profits pay taxes. And so if you are not managing your cash, knowing the ups and downs, because quite honestly, if you look at your P&L, you may have amortization, depreciation, interest expense showing up and showing you a much lower number, but you actually have money in the bank. Vice versa, you could have already had those wonderful things reduce some of your costs. And now all of a sudden you show a profit, but you don't have any money in the bank because you bought too much inventory. It's on the balance sheet hiding from you that you're not managing your money right. And what is it before? Because we're going to go in detail on this. What am I missing or, or what should they know to kind of feed them? Say, stick around for that next piece. I mean, like we said about the fear. If you can tackle your cash flow and you can tackle this this mindset, it you will feel so much better as an owner. Like it really will. It you know this stress the stress you carry as an entrepreneur affects everything in your life. So so much of this is you gaining the control back to be able to make good decisions. Know you're making good decisions, so you can go out and enjoy your life without having that constant elephant on your back and the worry that you're doing something wrong, you miss something, and, and you don't know where things are. So last but not least is a budget variance report. So we have a budget and we've got our numbers coming from our, our CPA bookkeeper. We put them side by side and we see where we hit or missed. This is where now the rear view mirror is important. We go, gosh, my food cost. Heck, you and I were on a call just the other day. Uh, we had kitchen labor, $2,000 over budget. We had food costs, $2,000 over budget. Well, there's $4,000 in negative cash flow, negative profitability, and we need to know why. What systems were we not using? Oh, I, I had my managers. I didn't hold them accountable. All right, it's time to retrain them. It's time to hold them accountable, even if I have to write them up, because this is a non-negotiable, as Ann, you talked about in the beginning. These things will happen in my business. And then we go and say, how aggressive or what small changes do we have to make over the rest of the year to catch back up? Like this budget variance is, it's almost the most important piece. You have all these foundational things together, but if you don't measure, you don't improve, right? I would agree. I would say the first time I really understood the budget variance, because in accounting, you actually don't do a lot with budgets. It sounds weird, but you don't. And we're always looking backward. That's that's our skill set. That's what we're trained on. And when I went to one of the first meetings with you, uh, you had a whole section on budget variance. And I remember listening to these owners sitting around the table going, well, you know, $3,000. I lost $3,000 last week of my labor and that schedule. And they could pull it up instantly and they knew like, oh, you know, it's the kitchen, you know, and just having that information, because that would be impossible to figure out in a true accounting world, right? Because right. most times it's salary and it's owner salary. So, okay. Or, you know, it's staff and, and, and owner. And it's such a big number that, okay, it's higher, but I don't know why it's higher or when it's higher. Cause I'm looking at a whole month or a whole year, but there's no action item there. And that truly kind of talks about why your company, my company are such good teammates, if you will, because without your information, I can't measure where we where we're supposed to be, where we actually are, and what changes we need to make. Without my information, 
you're just going to tell somebody, hey, your labor is high, but you're not going to give them the exact system on how to change it, where it should be, because you're only looking backwards. And so there truly is, in tandem, we give that, and this is why we're talking about our most successful operators, they know everything. They know what the, the windshield looks like. They know the rear, rear mirror, and they know how to pull them all together to make change. I mean, am I missing anything? But it truly is. Our businesses complement. In fact, we have multiple members that say, I'm so glad I have Anna. I'm so glad I have David. And it's that combination that has helped them survive COVID for Christ's sake. I would agree. I think it is an amazing combination that giving you everything that you need to know forward and backward. Well, let's go into the final piece here. And that is why cash flow is so important. And basically, how do we generate it? Now, we're not going to go dive into a spreadsheet and go into it. We're really going to talk about high level. But cash flow is probably one of the most exciting things that our owners work with you on. Because on when, once, once you get the number set up, and I, I want people to know that when you start, you make a change to a, a new accounting firm, it takes time to sort through the old stuff, convert it from one QuickBooks account to a new QuickBooks account, verify numbers, learn the processes to like, hey, you didn't get me, where's this expense come from? Oh, those are invoices from XYZ. Oh, they normally go to this other address, like little things. So whether it's a month, two months, three months, whatever it takes, when you and your bookkeeper slash accountant get all those things tied together, one of the things that I love about Ann and why my members have great success is she meets with you on a weekly basis to look at your cash flow because it's very different than your profit and loss. Like cash flow helps you proactively plan. When can I spend the money on this renovation by another location? It helps you understand that your bank balance is a number of what's there today. But like you reconcile your home checkbook, that you know what's outstanding, what's still coming out, that there's a reconciled balance as well, that you know you can pay those bills. It's not like 30 years ago when we could write checks on a Friday because they wouldn't clear till a Monday, which was against the law back then as it is today. But today they clear tomorrow. And most importantly, that cash flow, you avoid the hazards of running out of cash because what the biggest thing I think we find with our seasonal people we work with is once they do the budget, switch it to a cash flow budget and pay attention, they stop taking those freaking lines of credit 10, 12 years in a row. They stop because they know how many acorns to put aside to no longer borrow money and play catch up again next season. What am I missing there, Ann? No, and I think, um, you know, it's sort of an interesting time for cash flow. I think in 2019, nobody really cared about cash flow because it was so easy to get credit and things were grow, you know, we're growth, we're growing. We know we're losing money, but that's okay because we're building three other locations. I mean, all of those things were very true. But I think in the wake of COVID, nobody could in their right mind say that cash flow isn't important. Right. We all know what it felt like last year. We all know how lucky we were to have programs like PPP and ERTC, but we can't realistically say that we would assume that would happen again. Right. And even if it's not a global pandemic, things happen. I mean, hurricanes happen. It, it just happens. Well, well just to touch on that real quick, when pandemic hit, 
25% of our industry closed their doors within two weeks because all they had was two weeks cash flow. They had such a small bank balance that they knew as long as they were paying, money was coming in the door, they were paying bills from two weeks ago. It only took two weeks to take 25% of our industry out because we, we didn't follow any kind of plan, didn't know our cash, right? hundred percent. And I remember we, when we did the, we had a series of cash flow webinars during COVID. There was a week, it was the third week. And you said on the second week, next week we'll be telling who is on this call next week. And when we got on the third call, it was down and people had gone out of business. And I think it's so important to remember that because again, it's a unique time that now, I mean, we said a year ago, it's gonna take the government a while to respond, right? Don't expect it in days, it's weeks and months. Well, you know, now you look at it and people have plenty of money, but is your business generating the money or is that government money? Because whatever it is, right? If it's government money, that's fine but we need to make sure your business is generating the money because there will be a time when that goes away, just like the line of credit. And I used to say, you know, in 19, it's all fun and games until the line of credit runs out, but you could say now it's all fun and games until the government money runs out. And how many people got PPP last year and then it was gone in three months and it was gone and we didn't even know. And now we're stressing about cash again. And we just need to make sure that that doesn't happen now because COVID is in the rear view mirror, right? And there is no more government money coming. So we need to make sure that our business is generating cash flow on its own, and that's how we'll be sustainable moving forward. Let's touch on that real fast. So some operators have PPP money. They didn't burn through it. They, they went through slowly and it got forgiven. They got the second round of PPP money. Then they got EIDL money. They borrowed money because it was cheap. They just said, I'm going to get the money. I don't necessarily know that I need it, but I'm going to borrow the money. Some needed it badly. Then we have this new tax credit for employment. And so that's for two years. And we've got people getting money for that. And then we've got the, the relief bill, the fund that's coming in for restaurants. And they're getting money. And all of a sudden, you know, debate government and I don't care what side of political fence anybody lives on. I'm I'm a I'm a dissatisfied American. I think we have a, a non-functioning government right now because all the extremes. I so let's just put it out there in that respect. So don't come at me red, blue, I don't care. Like they're not getting shit done because the first round of PPP came too late. The second round really too late. And then this other money, 40% of our restaurant industry is gone. Most of you have survived and this is kind of like getting paid back for all the money you lost, but you're st you survived. Like it is my opinion, and I believe it's your opinion as well because we've talked about it. If you can get by without touching any of this money, you need to. You need to have, like don't use it if you can avoid it with the exception of, hey, I'm going to bring on a general manager. I, I really can't afford this year, but it's for growth. And I'm only going to take a small portion, 50 grand, 60,000 of the $300,000 I have because that's a business decision to grow, but don't blow through the money, like operate as if you don't have it. And do we see eye to eye on that? A hundred percent. And I think it gets hard because, you know, so many restaurant owners, this is, you know, something you never thought about, right? We didn't think about cash flow. We don't have it in our mindset to really think about our bank balance. And so then it gets really confusing. And then you're told, well, you have to spend the money on this. You have to spend the money on this. And I remember in the second round of PPP, when people were first getting funded, I had a conversation with a, a client and they were like, okay, so, you know, every time I run payroll now, I'm going to transfer the money out. And I'm like, no, 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 no. 
Like that money needs to just sit and ignore it, right? You need to run payroll off of what you can afford today. Yes, when it gets to forgiveness, we are going to present payroll reports and dollar for dollar, you will prove that you spent $200,000 on payroll, but it shouldn't be that $200 because you have sales coming in every day, right? You have you need that labor to be 40%, just like it always is. You need to ignore it. And I can tell you, I had one client that I did a call with, very old school, and he said every time he runs payroll, he moves $30,000 into a separate account and just ignore He put PPP in his operating account, and every time he runs payroll, he moves that amount of payroll into a savings account. And he's just checking it out and, and what, building his savings. And you know what? He is going to be so glad he did that a year from now. Well, let's look at it this way. If you are... There are restaurant operations that absolutely needed that money and are living on it. And we've learned to get more efficient. But this should be a huge red flag. If you still, today, with labor shortage and all this freaking sales walking in the door and you survived, and you still are behind the eight ball on the money you need to run the business, it's a bigger problem. And that's where that going backwards to that budget can tell us where the problem is and you need to fix it other than hiding the problem by just throwing money at it. Like you worked your ass off, you survived. Why would you want to give that money up just to keep your doors open? Because when you run out of that money, you're still operating at a negative. There's a fundamental problem to your business and you need to put the systems in place, the management in place. You need to be the leader the restaurant needs and write that ship and move forward. And this cash flow thing really helps you see that more than even a budget does, right? I would agree. Because like I said, if you can track your bank balance, it's just like inventory. It doesn't matter how much inventory you have. It matters about the change, right? Did your inventory go up or did it go down? Cash is the same. I don't care if you have a million dollars. Do you have a million dollars, 5,000 at the end of the month? Or do you have nine thousand, you know, 999 and you're in below a million? So that's what we're looking for. It's the change. Because if we know, okay, it goes up by 3,000, 5,000 every month. That's that peace of mind to know we are on a sustainable path. So let's just test the one last piece on this. Now, you and I, as we talked about at the beginning of the pandemic, we did, I think it was six weeks in a row of, of, of cash flow, talked about cash flow. And we started off with, I, had a, I have a system called a Budget Builder MVP. It's a Google sheet that operates like software um, because I'm an old software guy. And it allows you to easily build your budget. But then we really talked about cash flow and we hit this, this, this incredible bus called COVID and the business restrictions. And we really said, my gosh, people don't know how to handle that. So you and I worked together and converted, added a whole extra feature to the bottom of the budget and converted it and said, now we need 12 week budgets of cash flow, dollars in, dollars out. It's not accrual accounting. It's when a bill, money comes in and money goes out and truly planning that through. Now, let's say nobody has, was on that and doesn't have that spreadsheet or the budget spreadsheet. Where would I start? What's a, what's a good down and dirty, where do I start with cash flow? Because that quick QuickBooks report ain't so good. No, and I think it's to, the two go hand in hand. I think you need a budget, whether it's weekly or monthly, that shows you in, an, you know, based on how you currently run your business, not pie in the sky, but based on the labor that you have, buy position, all of those things, should you be making money, right? Because some people build a budget and the answer is actually no, that you do have more fundamental problems and it might not be break even. But in an ideal world, based on where you are, not 
flowery wishes, yes, I should make $1,000 a week. And then checking your bank balance to see, do you have $1,000 at the end of the week? That's a great place to start and something that wouldn't take that long to do. So if I put this all together, and again, we're primarily talking about our most successful people. And we've had successful people decide to close a location. I mean, not every entrepreneur hits a home run every time they open a restaurant or make a decision. I've had some of the most successful people I've worked with that have had restaurants go out the door. When is it, when you look at this cash flow, when do you start to make a decision? I'll give you my opinion in a second, but I want to hear yours first. When do you make that decision that maybe this is not something I need to keep feeding? What do you as a CPA, when you look at these numbers and the cash flow and it starts going down or stays negative straight across, when do you start saying to that client, hmm, maybe it might be time for either a fundamental change or closing this restaurant? Yeah, I mean, I think... Again, during COVID, I would say, you know, I've had some amazing conversations on that. Um, I think one of our clients can put it well in saying, you know, in reality, everything's on the table, right? Even the things that we think are non-negotiable about our business in its current form. I mean, if it's losing money, everything's on the, the table. And I think the people that survived the best in COVID went to their landlord and said, hey, I signed the lease assuming I was going to do X amount. I haven't come close to that. We're going to either work together or we're not because the landlords don't want a vacant space. So really being open to not just sitting there and letting it have the same result, but go to the landlord, scream, say, I want a year of free rent because I'm not going to make it through this year without it. Or maybe they say no, but we have to assume everything is negotiable. And then if it's really the case that it's not, we need to see what that does to our life. Because are you bleeding money because the business isn't making money or are you bleeding money because you have to pay yourself more than what the business makes? Because those are two different conversations. Right. And that and that's where I jump in and go, okay, the answer is easy. It's called a budget. When you work with somebody and say, you know, here's where you're currently operating, you're losing. And you and I have worked with people that show $200,000 losses. And in a year's time, we bring them into a $100,000 positive, a $300,000 swing because their prime cost is off. Their labor is out of control. Their food costs out of control. Like their expenses, they've got too much to set. They're over, over uh, uh, leveraged and they need to refinance. And, and all of a sudden there's a plan to success to make a change. And when you put that budget together and you see there's hope, that's when you know, when you put that budget together and you do all the things right and you realize no matter how good I am, when I run perfectly, I'm still going to lose money. That's when you go, can I, can I grow my sales fast enough or high enough to overcome this debt and these, these margins, or is it time to close? I, I think no matter what, whether it's the cash flow budget, as you talked about in, in when we, when we were planning for COVID and how to get through it or it's just looking down the road and saying, how am I operating? That budget, whether cash flow or a true budget, that's how you make the decision. The numbers will not lie. At some point in time, your pride will go, man, I'm gonna work perfectly. And, and the best case scenario is I can break even. And I've got 10 years of debt on this place. And you go, is that worth my life? I won't pay myself, I'll break even and I'll be a prisoner to this business. And so then you can make an educated decision what's best for you and your family. But again, my thought process is if you're listening to us right now, that there's hope. You have, you have revenue. You just might not be operating at the right numbers. You agree with that, Ann? 
Yes. Yes. I mean, I think it's about how open you are to change at the end of the day, you know, and I think closing may be an option, but I think there's also ways to really figure out, you know, pivoting, like all those other things, but we can't make any of those decisions until we know. And so just having that, you know, long-term approach to, to looking at it versus waiting till it's too far gone is so, because I've seen so many great businesses have to close, but it's because they were unwilling to change their broken issue, whether it was cost of goods sold or labor, whatever it was, unwilling to change until it was too late. And we really have to make sure that we can catch those things before we bleed out. Well, let's talk about, you know, we talked about the most successful people we've worked with, having an implementer, having budgets, having all this stuff, but there's a real challenge. And that real challenge is you're listening to us and you go, ah, I'm still going to do things the way I've always done it, right? The most dangerous phrase in your business is that's the way we've always done it. Like you've got to make a change and it's, it's a mindset change from going fixed mindset to a growth mindset. It's being willing to make the change in your business and hold people accountable. Even if it means you're going to have to fire a manager who's fighting you and sabotaging your growth. You have to be the leader your restaurant needs, but we often fall back to what we've always done. So you may have learned all this wonderful stuff, but what do you do with it? Next is, you know, you sit there and say, okay, I just listened to David and Ann. I'm going to try and do all this myself. Well, I told you at the beginning, you have to have an implementer. You must have help. If you try and do all this yourself, the accounting yourself, don't have an Ann on your team. You try and implement the systems yourself. You don't have an implementer or any managers or line supervisors, key employees. It will not work. It will not work. And most of all, you often get revved up. As an entrepreneur, you have the great new idea, you get excited about it. And then when you've got to do it on a routine basis, you stop and you need somebody to hold you accountable. And that's where often we as entrepreneurs need someone outside our business to make sure they hold us accountable. Now on the accounting side, I can tell you, I recommend to 100% of my members that they work with Ann Gannon. You go through my RTI program, you're going to see lessons with Ann in there. And because I know what can be done. Now I'm not going to tell you there have not been hiccups, there's operator mistakes, you're counting mistakes. But the fact of the matter is I've got people who and parts the C for them because now they have numbers in conjunction with the systems I teach. So I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to get a free consult with Ann, no strings attached, no nothing, you can go to our website, thelargogroup.com. And if you want to write down the URL, it's largogroup.com forward slash what is the Largo group with a dash in between. Um, you can go there. Otherwise, go to largogroup.com, navigate to the upper left-hand side. You'll see what is the Largo group right next to the logo. Click on it. It will take you a page and right there, schedule a call. That is your opportunity. And talk a little bit about what that call's like. So really it is uh, just an, an understanding of what you're looking for, because I think at the end of the day, like David said, you know, accounting is hard. Restaurant accounting is incredibly hard, but I think what sets us apart is being open to communication. I don't think there's many CPAs out there that talk to their clients every week. And I think our goal is to bridge that gap and understand your business. So whether it's us or not, I think it is a good understanding to see how do I hold myself accountable as an owner? Like what are the things I should be looking at? And us understanding your business to at least understand fundamentally, you know, here's what we would do and, and here's what you should do to get on a good path moving forward. Now, if you're looking for help with the system side, you need a restaurant coach. That's what I do. And if you want a no strings attached discovery call where 
We got on the phone for an hour, possibly longer, depending on what we're talking about. But I get to learn about you and your business, the challenges you have. And then I can tell you what I do and see if I'm a fit. And I'm not a right fit for everybody. I will tell you that the RTI program is a premium coaching program. It's 24 weeks intensive, weekly group coaching calls, support from other owners. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big task to take on. But if you're committed to that change, maybe it's the right thing, maybe it's not. No matter what, by the time we're done with that call, I will have shined a light on all your problems and given you the direction to fix them, whether we work together or not. So it's worth your time. You will come away with it better off than when you got on that call. If you'd like to get on a discovery call with me to learn about, for me to learn about you and to learn about what I do and what my company does, go to DSP, that's for David Scott Peters, dsp.coach forward slash discovery dash call dash DSP. And again, if that's something that works out for you, I'd love to talk to you. Again, what I do is not right for everybody. Well, and I would say on that, although I know you don't toot your own horn, that it is incredibly worthwhile that the people who buy in and commit that it's life-changing. And you can see it before COVID, you know, when I was uh, lucky enough to be part of, you know, attending some of your seminars and during COVID, you know, the people that said, okay, whatever's going on out there is whatever it is, but I am committed to getting better during this time, using this time to my advantage. I mean, it pays off. It takes time to do it, but your business will never be the same. It will always be better from here on out if you go through the process. So I, I would highly recommend everything that you do for the businesses because it's it's business changing. Your business will never be the same again. And you'll be amazed at how far you can come in a year. I appreciate that very much. Hey, that was an awesome episode. I want to thank you for taking the time to take action on building a better, more prosperous restaurant. Before you go, I want to give you these three thoughts. One, by combining leadership and taking action with systems and training being checked by accountability, you are on your way to creating prosperity for you and your restaurant. Two, I have something I need from you. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. By leaving us a review, other restaurant pros seeking out this information are able to find it. I read the reviews and hearing how this information has benefited you does wonders for me. And three, if you find any of the discussions helpful, share them. The more restaurant pros who have access to them, the better we become as an industry. For more restaurant resources or to get in contact with me, connect with me at davidscottpeters.com. Be passionate about what you're doing. Be persistent, but more importantly, become better and help everyone around you become better. And your restaurant is going to kick some ass. If you're tired of not being able to leave your restaurant because no one else knows how to run it, I want to make sure you know it doesn't have to be that way. You can leave your restaurant. It is possible to build a team of people who know how you want the restaurant to run. With these trained and responsible people in place, you can give yourself time away. What would you do if you had time away from your restaurant? Would you sleep better? Would your relationships improve? Would you feel more relaxed? These are all things you deserve to experience as a business owner. It's why we own our own businesses. If you would like to learn how to own a restaurant that doesn't depend on you to be successful, click the link in the description to watch a free training course that teaches you exactly what you have to do. Also, be sure to subscribe to get my weekly tips and watch these two videos to get more information and guidance for running a successful restaurant.